Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the Night Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett. As per usual, no football to talk about, but plenty of financials. Mm. Boring. Is this is this boring? Is this going to be a boring show, Rob? Feels boring, doesn't it? But you know, it's all part of the ecosystem of football. So, yeah, we're going to have to talk about some finances today. Well, we pr- we promise you, we'll try and make it not boring, as not boring as possible. Because, <clears throat> well, what does the Q one July September or yes, it's actually Q three, but like Q one in a fo- in a football sense, some. Uh, losses of 25 million quid. We'll talk about that midway through the show, but we'll top the show with uh, the news this week, the SEC filings that Qatar could not actually, or did not provide proof of funds during the takeover process. There's also an interesting development that Sir Jim Ratcliffe threatened to walk away uh, by Christmas Day if they would not... uh, well, if they want to drag it out any longer or reject his bid, he was going to walk off. And uh, United might have been in a really, really bit of big bit of bother if he had walked away. Uh, Anthony Martial also needs surgery. We'll talk about him towards the end of the show. It's a January transfer window. There's not a lot going on. We we could talk about transfers that'll never happen. Do you want to talk about transfers that'll never happen, or at least for six months won't happen? I don't really. Maybe we'll talk about players that are suited to United or not suited to United. But yeah, some of it is pie in the sky, isn't it? Yeah. Um, United, basically the reason why we were going to talk about the financials really is United's behaviour in the transfer market has been quite interesting in the sense of they signed Sofian Amrabat on loan in the, at the end of the summer. They signed mm. Jack Butland, Wout Weghorst and Marcel Sabitzer about a year ago on loan because their money's ran out. They're seeing teams like Everton and Nottingham Forest get charges. Everton, in their case, could be a second points deduction uh, because of them losing more than is actually allowed. I think the if you lose over £105 million over a rolling three-year period, then you are susceptible. Uh, two points deductions in this case. Everton getting deducted 10 points could get more. We'll see how this one develops and Mm. turns out. And even in the... I think this transfer window now, they spent... The Premier League clubs have spent barely a tenth of what they did even a year ago. And I know Chelsea Mm. were crazy. Uh, They they went pretty crazy with the money that they spent. But barely anything out of Chelsea. Tottenham did a bit of business. They signed a, a defender from Genoa. And obviously, Timo Werner on loan. So they're the, probably the most active team in the league at the moment. Mm. And uh, Arsenal can't really do anything, you know. So United are in it as well. And obviously, the losses of, I believe, it's just over £25 million in that first quarter from July to September of this season. Mm-hmm. 
could suggest that United could be on a similar path. I, I will say, it's, it's, I don't think that's going to happen at all. There's, there's other things, other circumstances, which should mean that United are safe and fine, but a lot of work will have to be done by Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos to turn things around. And you're seeing that United are starting to sell some young players. So that makes a difference. It's quite tactical. We'll explain that maybe a little bit on the show as well. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube, the Promised Land and Manchester United podcast. Like the video, leave a comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell as well so you don't miss a show and follow us on socials at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B on X and YouTube and at TPLMUFC on X as well. Where do you want to start, Rob? I guess we should start with some of those outgoings or where do you want to go, Scott? You tell me. Well, no, I, I asked you the question. Where do you want to start today? I th- well, do you know what? We, we we said we'll talk a little bit more about the finances, but I think it all ties in really. Like you just said there with outgoings and trying to not make this too boring. I think uh, it, it, we we spoke not so we long promise. ago. We promise. It's it won't be boring. Like, honestly, no, it won't be boring. We, we promise that. We've used the word boring three or four times in the first five There's minutes. Nothing boring we about We don't Manchester want United. you to switch this off. No, keep It's watching. not boring. It's exhilarating. It's Sorry, exhilarating. Not. It's just that there's no football to talk about, so it just puts us in a different spot, doesn't it? But I think when you talk about players outgoing, we did speak about what Ineos would do in the kind of first weeks of when they, they came into power, so to speak, is that they would be shedding employees, Yeah, that they need to make those balances. And still, United fans saying, well, who is it? Is it the Glazers? Is it Jim Ratcliffe? Who, who is it? Who's pushing the strategy? We absolutely know it's Ratcliffe pushing the strategy. And that's why we're seeing a very different Manchester United in terms of approach to this transfer window and also to how it looks after its employees and what it does. So there's been a strategic decision definitely from the centre that it's time to lose bodies, push bodies out the door. And this all ties in with the financial results because as we've actually seen here with... It says Q3, isn't it, this one? Well, it's Q3 in a... In a- in a standard year, like Q three in, in a financial sense, isn't it? Was Q one in the in the yep. season? Yeah. So Ju- season. July through September. So that is technically Q one in in football terms, football so, finance terms. So it's difficult. Difficult for but Ineos it's Q three kind of, make... of the year, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So it's difficult for any of us to kind of make any kind of sweeping changes in the in the first instance when it comes to the finances. But as we are seeing, Manchester United are hemorrhaging profits. You know, money is going out the door while still making incredible revenues. So that needs to be fixed. It needs to be fixed now. And that will, I think, come strategically from Ineos. One of the things that the Glazers said on the back of this deal was that we like Ineos because of what they bring to the table in terms of expertise. And I think this is kind of what they were also talking about, Scott. They're not just talking about winning football matches. They're talking about how you run a business, make profit, and keep making more profit. So that's kind of what the Glazers are interested in. Of course, there's a bigger story around that uh, with Qatar. And obviously, that's been breaking the last few days about did they really put the money up for a bid? You know, what, what was Sheikh Jassim's, you know, real motives for what he was saying and doing and coming out of that side? I think that's one of those things that we need to kind of put a bow on today. We will do that in a bit since we've gone with the revenues and losses, just some mm. top line numbers that earlier this week they posted. Uh, First quarter revenues of £157 million, just over that, 157.1. And somehow still managed to post a net loss of 
25.8 million pounds. And obviously, if you consider that 25.8 million pounds loss in one quarter, when you're meant to lose a maximum of 105 million pounds over the course of three years, you times that by X. Oh, let's say they got a 25.8 million loss three, four quarters in a row. Mm. You're treading a fine line there. There's like you can deduct things from it, like in certain investments and and this kind of thing, uh, to make that loss shrink a little bit. But obviously, it's not a healthy position to be in. So I think I think this is a an important thing. You see, in a bunch of players leave, like Anthony Alanga has gone. Obviously, mm. probably not for as much money as they probably could have got for him. He left mm. in the summer, joined Nottingham Forest. Um, other players have left this month. You know, Alvaro Fernandez. I know is uh, one player that some people are a bit disappointed to see leave. I am, but at the same time, clubs use their academies, and we can we criticize Chelsea for this in a sense, but they probably do it better than anybody. Uh, they use their academies to <laughs> uh, grow players that they can yes. then sell to reinvest, and I think they go overboard with it. I will say, but mm. if players aren't good enough to fit in your team now or in the next two years. I know me and you disagree on Hannibal, for example. You think mm. he could have been a part of the squad. I don't think he showed enough personally to warrant that. And definitely on a different level, a level below Garnacho and Kobe Mainu, who've uh, come into the team in the last 18 months or so. Kobe Mainu, in this case, in the last few months. But... <clears throat> Not healthy, really, um, but it proves that there's a lot of work to do. There's loads. Everybody knows the debt that United have on the club at the moment, and has been the case since uh, what 2005. They dip into a credit facility to fa- to facilitate transfers. They negotiate transfers, walk away from transfers, and then come back and end up paying three times as much as they could have got. Or mm-hmm. could have paid for a player in the first place. They spend seventy-two million on Rasmus Hoyland. I like Rasmus Hoyland, but come on, Anthony was the other player I was just talking about there. Where you know that you get quoted something like, or you, you value a player at X. You wait three months and then you pay X times three, and it's just really not good enough, is it? So I think it's just a reflection. Really, all of these numbers are just a reflection on how poorly. United have been run to go from winning the league title in 2013 to this position being what seventh, eighth in the league as they are having players like Casemiro and Rafa Varane on North of 300 K 300 K a week, this kind of thing, you know, there are ways out of it. There are ways to reverse it. I think it's going to be quite painful at times and it might mean some, Tough decisions need to be made, but you can see that United are already trying to trim their wage bill. And I think that is going to be primary concern, number one, maybe this month and maybe at the start of the summer as well. Because I think I think Rafa Varane will leave for free. I, I, I personally do. I can't see him negotiating a pay cut, personally. When there's other, other options out there, Anthony Martial, we'll talk about later in the show as well, out of contract in the summer. £250,000 a week for a player who can't get in the team and is injured all the time. But anyway, uh, yeah, Rob, it's it's not a good situation, is it? No, it's not a good situation. But I think also when you look at it, like you just mentioned there about the kind of north of £25 million loss per quarter, 
And of course, if you add that up over a quarter, that's over 100 million pound over the year. Now, it's it's highly unlikely United, with the incoming money with Sir Jim Ratcliffe and the investment, that that will be a problem in terms of a points deduction. That's not really an issue. My opinion on that is that, yeah, if you do go over those allotted figures, and you should get points deduction. I include that for our football club. You know, I include that for kind of anyone that that kind of breaks those those financial they're not laws, are they? They're kind of just rules. It's kind of how the Premier League likes to do its thing. But then, Scott, like you just said there about Hannibal and individual players, I think you can, again, you can dial it back to the summer. Like, do you remember the conversation we had about Bandir and about what do you do with that position because you've got a goalkeeper that you've just bought for a lot of money and now you're buying another goalkeeper just to kind of sit on the sidelines. But that was only a few million quid. But when you add it up, in totality and those few million quid and his wages that you pay him over every quarter and every year, you have to again, look at the value of these deals and say, well, is it smart business? Like we could talk about the Mason Mount deal to a blue in the face. That's a huge deal in terms of like financial uh, figures for the whole year. I think when you look at some of this, Scott, it's just been so badly run, but now we're at a stage where you're cutting employees and that's why you're losing a Hannibal. For me, you're not losing a Hannibal because he's not good enough. You're losing a Hannibal because the manager isn't maybe that into him. But you're now going to have to try and find a better way and still win football matches with a reduced squad. This is why planning year to year is so important. And I think Ineos know this and we know this, but it's interesting to see now where Ineos go because I think in the short term there will be more pain because you've got to correct these books to make sure that you're a, a viable business. Man United make incredible revenues and should not be making those losses. But we do know now, Scott, I say next year, no Champions League football, maybe. So that's a huge chunk of money that Manchester United and the Glazers would have, you know, hoped to expect would be coming towards them out of the TV deals that they might not get. It might not even get Europa League. We don't know at the moment. I'm not trying to be negative here. But this is where you have to put in strategies to protect your bottom line. If you don't protect your bottom line, you can very, very quickly become Everton. Everton. Oof. Right, anyway. There and Everton been... will get a second point deduction. They will. Yeah. When you look at the numbers, they're again a business that just you know bought loads of players, didn't sell well, didn't win, didn't get better, sacked people, got rid of people. And now they're just completely in a pickle, aren't they? You've got a new stadium in the way, on the way, like what's going on with all of that how much will that cost uh and also manchester united which is obviously widely reported in the last 24 hours you know the rain group who have who have run the whole of this 12 month debacle of a sale that didn't happen have just been paid over 25 million pound for their services for the year 25 million that's that's a footballer isn't it scott <laughs> you go buy some tell you what's another foot another footballer is how much uh joel glazer made from the elongated process i think he made an extra 60 million exactly in so, this, in what he sold yeah so, so. just a, this was all for the glazers it was all part of that it was it was a kind of it was both cost saving but also putting some more money in their pockets whilst also letting go of some of the club, like letting go of a part of the club that they feel that they don't know enough about and haven't been successful with. And that's why they want to get into bed with Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos because they feel that they will do it better and that will then profit everyone and make the club more solvent. But Rob, Qatar, they made offers. Mm. Uh, look, I don't want to... Um... Rob, you put, you put a tweet out yesterday, um, but... We, you know, th- this week, so 
basically there were filings released. Um, you know, SEC filings have to be released uh, given United are on the stock exchange, this kind of thing. You have to be kind of uh, open and clear. And it essentially broke down all the steps, these SEC filings, all the steps of the process during the strategic alternatives mm. phase, which lasted from November 2022 to Christmas Eve of last year. Obviously, 13 months or whatever it was. And there are bidders in there. There was countless, countless parties that were interested in this kind of thing. Obviously, it's whittled down to like eight, and then it gets to like two actual bidders who are looking to, are actually serious about potentially taking over the club. Um, Qatar or Sheikh Jassim, who was the, the, the front person in this bid from Qatar to buy Manchester United were referred to as uh, bidder A, I believe, or some, something like mm. that. Not referred to in, in name, but we kind of know what what is discussed in that. And at numerous points during the process, while Sir Jim Ratcliffe essentially met every requirement throughout the process in terms of like providing proof of funds and updating his bid to make sure that he could get his way, find his way in, this kind of thing, even how that's down to the value of uh, Class A versus Class B shares, this, this kind of thing. Qatar, as it's been widely publicized this week, never provided proof of funds throughout the entire process, according to these filings. Now, that, that has led to conjecture and debate and public state public statements via journalists in the days since saying that is a lie. Uh, we did have the money. We did provide the necessary proof of funds, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's the immediate reaction to those filings, Rob, was were we taken for a ride here? And do you think that that is the case? Well, when we say we, you know, <laughs> were we taken for a ride in terms of the Manchester United fan base, then... I think the answer to that is, of course, yes. And I think that's something we've preached for quite a long time. Not, this is not about preference. Like, again, we were accused of all sorts of stuff of being like in your stooges, working for Ratcliffe, also being accused of being racist, not liking people from the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whenever you talk about sports washing and stuff like that, this is the bit that people don't really want to talk about, the kind of the mythology around these things, these things that go out into the, the public domain. And turn into fact very quickly, but then when you dig below the surface, it's not a lot of fact there, really. I think I think it's as cut and shut as this, Scott. And I can't, this is, I think, where we can leave it. Yeah, Sheikh Jassim, we did our due, due diligence on him and who he is and what he does and how he operates. And Sheikh Jassim, as an individual, does not have the money to buy Manchester United. Never has, never did. People say, "Oh, he's the guy with the money," and Jim Ratcliffe isn't, which is crazy because Jim Ratcliffe's worth about 30 times more personally than Sheikh Jassim. But it's not about yin and yang. It's not about that. It's about the entities, the, who wants to buy Manchester United. If the Qatar state wanted to buy Manchester United, it absolutely could have. They could have put the money up, and I've always said this to you and said it on the show. You know, They could have just blown everyone out of the water, stuck $10 billion on the table, because that is chicken feed to them. It's nothing. yeah. And they could have gone and got the football club. What they really wanted, and what I believe, you know, and this is kind of what we're told by people who are 
connected to the, you know the sourcing on a lot of this stuff that all along that this was all just really a big game it's a big game for social media create all these bot accounts pay people off pay commentators off pay journalists get them doing their bidding for them do shows on channels here there and everywhere and just basically lie for a year and what did we get scott what did man united fans get out of that process that every week you get a tweet from someone saying 24 hours before the deal happens guys it's coming it's going to guitar you know and we would look into it and we would go it's literally this is all coming out of thin air there's like no trail back here to reality so i think we're now in a, in a case of reality aren't we because obviously the rich entity here, which is Ineos and Jim Ratcliffe, obviously went in and got what they wanted out of it and are still progressing in terms of their structure to, you know, this is the start of their their time at Manchester United. And the Qatar bit, everyone was like, oh, well, Sheikh Jassim will now just go buy another football club, won't he? What? Like, you know, we can't even find any media or photographs of this guy who lives in the biggest media bubble that you could possibly wish to be in. Yeah, so when billionaires are out there trying to buy stuff, Scott, they put their face on it, and this guy never did. And I always said to you as well, didn't I? You know, if Qatar really wanted United, they could have turned up at Old Trafford, done a press conference, and said, we are here now, and we're taking this club over. Never really happened like that. And it didn't happen like that, Scott, because it was all fake, most of it. So, yeah, United fans wanted the full sale now and Glazers out, and I think they felt Qatar was the best option for that. But it was never the best option for that for one single reason. That is they never put the money on the table. Because the money was never on the table, what are the Glazers supposed to do? They can't go down the line except a bid that isn't there, can they? So it was Jim Ratcliffe or nothing. It was Jim Ratcliffe or you get the Glazers forevermore. And this is now a route at least out away from Joel Glazer being in charge of football matters and Manchester United carrying on the way it has for the last 10 years. So the... There's been rebuttals through <clears throat> various uh, journalists and, you know, I think the Daily Mail, Mike Keegan, put something out on Thursday night, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, there's been other snippets saying this filing is wrong and we did provide X. We did, we did provide everything necessary for the bid to go through. Mm. Look, guys, right? We, we said numerous times, and I'm not, like, saying for any reason that like we were right or anything like that it's just something didn't really add up in the sense of if qatar and we it, let's let's make no mistake about it it's qatar it's not sheikh jassim he was just the front person mm. for this it was would have been like a, a state bid qatar spent 184 billion dollar billion pounds 220 billion dollars on the World Cup. Yeah. This is about 60 times the $3.5 billion that South Africa spent on 2010. Yeah. It is by far and away the most expensive World Cup ever, right? So when you think that United are going to be bought out by, it, let's just say it was a state, it was Qatar, right? They could have come in at any point, and we said this numerous times, if that was real, they could have put that money down and not... They could have put £10 billion down. They could have put £10 billion down. If they really, yeah. really, really, really wanted it, they could have just stopped everything, paid off the Glazers and said, look, get out. This is ours now. We will, we will do this. We'll do this properly. 
They never did, and they've gone and tried to call value on a four point five five million or five billion dollar bid, and say, mm. oh, we're not going to go any further than that. It doesn't represent value for money." Yet they've <laughs> also spent 60, 60 times what the last world, what the twenty ten World Cup cost. Like, come on, you know. But this is why I was like, I had my head in my hands for a lot of it, Scott, because like you'd see. I don't know, even like fan channels go down the route and talk about it. And they would say stuff like, why should the Glazers squeeze these, these billionaires just because like you wouldn't pay more money for it. If you bought, if you were buying a car here and this car was shiny and excited you, but someone said, Oh, I'm going to put an extra tenor on it. You wouldn't do that. Would you, this is high class, highest level blue chip business. This is like the, the biggest level billions and billions of billions where, where billionaires don't sniff at this kind of stuff. You just made the example there, the World Cup. You can see in my background here that there's a little World Cup from the World Cup final that I got when I was reporting there in 2018. And I think when you look at those World Cups, the one that Qatar put forward, normally a World Cup costs about 10 billion to stage, about 10 billion. That's the average over the lifetime of recent World Cups. And Qatar spent hundreds of billions just on the blink, on the whim building stadiums out of nowhere, Scott, and a ton of dodgy stuff on the back of that as well. And we don't even need to go down there about, you know, in terms of how they built that project and what they did with that project and FIFA and et cetera, et cetera. If they wanted Manchester United, they could have just gone and got it. Man United is small fry compared to these entities. And we even said this about Ineos the other day, didn't we? We were like, United's revenues and losses, absolutely tiny in an Ineos sphere. Like Ineos don't look at, 25 million here and there as a problem like we, we talk about it like it's a lot of money but to them it isn't it's accounting and doing your accounts properly and when it comes to qatar we've we've got good examples scott of what qatar have done over the last 10 or 15 years with psg and other football clubs and their intentions but also the gulf states in general so not just putting it down to qatar but all of them that've gone and bought football clubs in the western world and put their projects out there and why they've done that. So we always said we didn't want United to be a, a sports washing project, and that was kind of that in a, in a nutshell. But I think the other side of this is that when we discussed these bids over the last 12 months, I always said to you, didn't I, I don't want to go down the route where we just talk about gossip because it was just gossip. All that stuff there where Twitter was going mad about stuff and bids coming in and you know, accounts. Like you look at these accounts, Scott, and you look at the legibility of them. And they were all fake. And you could tell they were, you know, and people didn't want to give anyone credit for that. We were kind of like, well, we don't want to go down that route. So it's not a surprise that the legal filing shows that, that Qatar did not put the money on the table because that's exactly what we heard from the right people at that time. And now Qatar, can they can refute it. But then if they really want to refute it because they say they're damaged, their reputation is damaged, then they need to sue the rain group. They need to sue Manchester United. They need to sue the Glazers. And will they sue them? No, because that is not a good look. They can come out and put a statement out and say, oh, yeah, we did offer this for the club. But who offered it, Scott? Was it Jassim? Was it the Qatar State? Was it a consortium of Qatari business people? That was one of the things we were told. Oh, it's a private consortium. Who are these people? Show us. Tell us. They wouldn't. <laughs> so there we go. At least we know who Jim Radcliffe is, who Ineos are, who these people are. We can do due diligence on them and hold them accountable. And that's what I put at the end of my tweet, Scott, is that that's what we will do. You and me on this show, we're only like, you know, Rob and Scott. Like, we're not, not like 
uber journalists out there just like you know right in the middle of it well we try and be but we will try and hold Ineos and Sir Jim Ratcliffe to account as best we can publicly because I think that's all we all can do you know and not have favoritism we don't support Ineos do we we support Manchester United so let's see where we go now and I, I hope we can just put the whole Qatar thing to bed now because it's been a kind of painful 12 months isn't it like having to deal with it all the time Scott you and me were constantly like just rather not have to deal with this it's 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 hard work isn't it and a lot of research and a lot of a lot of talking about something that we know isn't going to happen obviously there's been blowback since saying i know we'll wrap it up soon but the, the full sale option was there even though <clears throat> was it really no what, like was it the the overriding narrative was we want full sale only and yeah, yeah, I think everybody did. But was that ever really realistically on the table? No. People will say no. that Qatar provided that, but obviously they didn't provide proof of funds according to these filings. So was it really on the table? So was that a dream sold to you? Yes. Qatar offered yeah, a wish and a dream. Qatar it's... looked, Qatar did their job, Scott, and looked and went, Man United fans, we can harness this. Man United fans are disaffected and upset by this Glazer ownership and everything that's gone down with it. We all are. But it depends whether you want dreams or reality. You know, like, dreams are cool, but, like, keep the dreams for the football. Like, you want the, to dream that the ball goes in the back of the net and win you titles. What are you dreaming that you want to be Man City or their ownership structure? Look at how many charges they've had in the X amount of years. We're talking about financial stuff today. We don't want to go down that route. It's dodgy. It's dangerous. So... We'd rather Man United were solvent and actually were a better football team and a better football club and were not involved in political matters because that's what this comes down to, Scott. A lot of this is like high politics now in the modern day and people being manipulated. And unfortunately, I'm going to put this in the tweet, there's a lot of United fans, commentators, prominent people who did the Qatar bidding for that same reason, what you just said there was it was only full sell now, but there was no full sell on the table. There never was. It was just people talking out the top of their heads. So that's a shame. I think it's good that in the last week we've seen now that Jim Ratcliffe has met with Must. Now I know Must are a kind of divisive organisation for a lot of United fans. A lot of people don't trust them. I've worked with Must in the past. I think they're really good. I think they've got their think they've got their hearts in the right place. And they will judge Jim Ratcliffe on the facts. They're not going to judge Jim Ratcliffe on his bank account or whether he schmoozes very well. They'll do it on what's put in front of them. And in the first instance, they liked the meeting. They were like, yeah, this is a guy who's going to maybe help Man United, bring it back to being a community club, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whilst putting the money in to be a better football team. It's kind of the ownership I want, Scott. That's what I would prefer I don't want us to be the plaything of a nation state. Never have, never will be. I wouldn't want Man. I wouldn't want Man United to be owned by the British government, let alone the Qatari government. It doesn't matter. Governments are not good. Yeah, they, they have their own agendas, and most governments do not care about sport. Yeah, they care about image. They care about your votes. They care about keeping people happy at a distance while they keep creaming the cash. So that's where we are, and I think that will be hopefully the end of kind of any Qatari talk on our show in years to come. But we'll see, because obviously they're not, they might push back. They might buy another football club. You never know. Um, and we'll see how that impacts Manchester United. Hopefully, we'll just be able to talk about the bloke who's actually putting some cash in now in the next years ahead, rather than people who pretended to put money on the table. The, the other part of the fallout that I just wanted to, to mention was, <clears throat> obviously, 
full sale was demanded or wanted by a hundred percent really everyone everyone that is the case right full sale didn't happen so jim ratcliffe has come in but has also then received the a fair whack of criticism for getting into bed with the glazers and it has been people have said oh you've enabled the glazers to win the glazers won in 2005 the Glazers won. The, the Glazers have won a long, long time ago. They are the ones in control. If anything, Sir Jim is the one trying to change that. Do not blame him. Mm. The guy actually, with from what it seems, good intentions of actually turning things around and getting United out of the mess that they're in. Do not blame him for finding a way to do that. It's 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 completely ludicrous to me and un- unrealistic. Do do not if if you have any anger harbored towards the gym for doing parts part part sale whatever it is i think it's up to 29 percent of the club that you'll end up owning you know it's not direct your anger and frustration at the glazer family that that is that is what needs to happen because they are the ones who somehow managed i blame the premier league as well The, the, the premier league allowed this to happen so you've had a party or a family come in take over United with leverage debt, which the, which is just growing. Mm. And you do not blame the guy who's trying to come in and fix it. And he's found one way to go about getting his foot in the door. You know, it's not on him. It, that frustration not should not be directed at him. <laughs> he, 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 he could have just walked away and done nothing. Yeah, why would you reckon if I'm looking at this, I'm going, I don't care how much I love Man United. I'm not interested in this. Like <laughs> this, is, this is too much like hard work. They did have to strategically work for 12 months with the Glazers, with the Rain Group and everything going on with it to find a way, a route into buying the football team. And as we've said before, what, what they've done is quite unconventional, like selling the football business, like whilst maintaining the commercial part. That's uniquely Manchester United because Manchester United as a commercial outfit in football terms has this kind of split loyalty between commerce and football. You know, there's, it's almost like two different businesses kind of spliced to one. If I was Jim Ratcliffe, I probably would have walked away from it a long time ago. You know, I'm not really interested in this. I spoke to someone, Scott, at Old Trafford, yeah, this last match, and they work for Ineos, right? And I asked them, and I asked them direct questions about it, really uh, as hard-hitting as it could be. And this person said to me, Jim Ratcliffe really wants to do this. This is why we're doing it. We're doing it. Jim Ratcliffe really, really, really wants to do this. He wants to He wants to take Manchester United and make it this powerful football team again. And that is the absolutely... Now, we could be lying, of course. That's their singular kind of mantra behind the scenes with how they're going to hire, fire, and construct this football team. And one of the things, you know, kind of, it wasn't off the record. I'm not kind of telling you who the person is, but they were like, Jim Ratcliffe, he's, he's p- p- particularly hard-nosed. Like, he's kind of a guy that thinks he gets his own way. He knows what he wants and he will push. And they were like, for 12 months, that's what he did with Glazers. He pushed until he got what he wanted and he got what he wanted. Now, it might look like he's getting into bed with the Glazers, but to Jim Ratcliffe, he feels like he got what he wanted. And that is he got the football team. And that's it. And he's now at Old Trafford there, Scott, in the stand, sat next to Fergie, saying, I'm in the building. This is my team. And I think that will continue. So I think that's also why I'm less worried about some of the finances. Because Jim Rackley's got a lot of money. 
Yeah, and he will put it into Manchester United because he his motivation is to show that he can make it work and that, you know, when he leaves this planet, like we said a few weeks ago, he will leave Manchester United a stronger football team. That's what we all hope as well. We want Manchester United to be better and hopefully he is the route to it and we will hold him to account on all of it and let's see what he can do now because it's better, I think, to be positive about that than just go, oh, full sale now. Oh, I want it Qatar. Oh, I want it to be like Man City. Like, just come on. Like, just get off that tip now. It's over. Forget it. Yeah, let's go try and move forward and actually see what can happen for the football club. I'd like to see Man United get back to basics, Scott. I'd like to see us start buying some proper players, having a proper strategy and building season after season rather than what we've had for 10 years, which has been distasteful, I think, at least. I think that's, a, that's the kind of nicest way you could put it. It's been a badly run football club. The Glazers win. The Glazers win, win regardless. The Glazers won when they bought the club. The Glazers have won and would have won whichever way this process went, whether that was Sajim buying 25%, whether that was full sale to Qatar, as long as they got the price that they wanted, whichever. They, they, are, they are making obscene amounts of money out of Manchester United. Obscene. And you were, right to blame, you were right to blame the Premier League. You're absolutely right to blame the Premier League. You know, they've just been sat here in front of the Commons Committee and the Premier League talked about Everton because obviously it's a question about, oh, why are you taking all this money out of these football clubs now? Why are you finding them and giving, you know, taking points deductions? And the Premier League are trying to say, oh, but this is why. They mentioned Portsmouth and I've done a big thing on Portsmouth in the past. And Portsmouth were a football club absolutely wrecked by lies and fake millionaires and fake money and they're a team that were a Premier League team, Scott, won the FA Cup and then just sank into the abyss. And this is a, a really grand old football club. Now, I'm not saying Man United, that could happen to them. But that's what happened with the Glazers is that they didn't protect their institutions when it came to the Glazers trying to, you know, overcome the markets with debt and actually take the football club over. I blame the Premier League. I don't blame the Glazers. They're just a, a horrible, leachy entity trying to make money out of stuff. And that's what that's what capitalism basically is. But you can put the rules in place to protect teams, can't you? And Manchester were never protected. They were almost like sold out down the river by the Premier League. I will always forever blame the Premier League because they kind of make out that there's equal entity of like 20 clubs and all of this and it's all fair play. No. They, they, the Premier League will sell any brick of English football to make a penny because that's what it is. And that's why the Premier League is the most successful league in the world as, to, as far as money goes, isn't it? But it seems like Manchester United have suffered for that, you know, and I, and I still think that we probably suffered more than most. You know, it didn't happen with other football clubs. Man United... I think well, the leverage buyout is now not a legal transaction. Now you can't do it. And it's like the Glazer rule, people are calling it. And it's the Glazer rule. No, it's the Premier League. It's the Premier League that actually allowed all of that. And, and I also look at the whole pyramid like that, Scott. It's a deeper conversation for another day. But you look all the way down the kind of 92 clubs, you go all the way down into the lower leagues. And there isn't really this fair distribution of money all the way through it. Teams at the bottom have wage bills where they're spending like 80% of their profits just on getting a footballer out on a football pitch. It's mad. United, I think, have better kind of ratios, but they could go that way. Like if you didn't look after and have financial fair play, it's very, very easy then just to, just to say, oh, yeah, you can let owners put money in. A lot of owners just want to take money out. So you have to find the right owners who are actually always going to put money into a football club and look after it. And let's hope that Jim Ratcliffe is that guy for us. There is, talking about rules, um, this kind of thing, there are, that we are converging towards rules 
for football clubs to only spend 70% of their revenue that they make per year, I believe. Brilliant. That is a staged process under UEFA. I believe it's under UEFA rules, this. But obviously, if you're going to be in the Champions League, this kind of thing, you're going to have to, or you, the Europa League or the Conference League, whichever one it is, Cost control, this is a, an extract here, cost control will be ensured by UEFA's new squad cost rule, which will eventually limit clubs to spending 70% of their revenues on the wages of their players and coaches, but not the non-playing staff, as well as the cost of agents and transfer fees, this kind of thing. I believe that is twenty by the 25-26 season, I want to say, but it's, it's, been, uh-huh. it's going in stages from 90% to 80% to 70%. So all these clubs are converging to make this go along this path. For the eventual health of football clubs to stop mm. them overspending. Yeah. And uh, like, I know we we started at the top of the show saying, well, uh, United have lost a significant chunk of money. Their revenues are still very good, but they, they're still losing money, this kind of thing. And it is going to be a problem potentially down the line, given all the points deductions that are p- possible for Premier League clubs. I mean, as Rob said, I think we're pretty confident that the external investment has come at the right time and the external expertise I think it's come in maybe just in time Mm. (laughs) for United to avoid that but it's going to be it take a hell of a lot of work to reverse it yeah and I think the Glazers did identify that I think this is why when they put the club up with through the rain and obviously went public and said you know we might sell we might not we're looking for investment we 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 don't know what what we want to do really the one thing they absolutely knew they wanted to do was balance the books they didn't want to go down this path of being held accountable. Like, can you imagine how bad it would look on the Glazers if they were in that scenario where they kept running the club and it kept going the way it is? Like, they know that their investment in their football team then starts to shrink in terms of value. And then your revenues eventually get hit. Why? Because people stop buying the kits. Sponsors stop giving you money. You, you're not the same kind of team that you were 10, 15, 20 years ago. We know they're not on the pitch, but behind the scenes, Scott, Man United could basically sell you know thin air to the world that's kind of how good they are at that stuff um but you're in a better position now there's no doubt about it you have a kind of you know kind of sugar daddy figure there now actually at the club but you just said there about the revenue state the problem is scott so a lot of people in football still and even people i've spoken to very recently about it again who who actually think that football should just be attracting big billionaire benefactors that what you do is that if you want to buy a football club in, say, League Two, and say you want to spend, I don't know, half a, you know, half a billion on it, all, all the way there, so you can get in the Premier League, that's a good thing for football. For me, I think it's an absolutely atrocious way to run, run football clubs because these billionaires ultimately, somewhere down the line, are not interested. You know, it's about profit and loss for them. And I'm sure this is where Ineos will get to one day as well. It will become a, a concern for Ineos about the books, about what they're spending but I think that's down the line. But I think you have to have this cap now in terms of what you can spend. And I think 70% is a, is a good, decent cap because I th- also think, Scott, you need a wage cap now. I really do. I think wages are astronomical at football clubs. And I'm not talking about the Premier League teams. I'm talking championship down. You've got championship players, Scott, on like over 100 grand a week, yeah, playing in front of like 20,000, 30,000. And it's, it's madness, you know, you've got League Two teams. There's a League Two, League One team down the road here. You know, that's got a wage bill that just isn't sustainable. It's just not sustainable, and all these clubs eventually will go out of business, and then you'll just be left with a kind of Super League at the very top, Scott, with 20 teams, and maybe we'll be one of them at Man United. So, you know, 
we won't be too worried about us. But the health of the game is really important. And and there is a Manchester United are the biggest example there of how you can take something that makes loads of money and still make it really bad. And football needs to protect against that. And that comes through rules and regulations. Regulations have to be a much tighter than they've been in this kind of free market economy that football loves to kind of push forward. Yeah, just to double back on the point that I made, I just wanted to make sure I was saying the right thing and it turns out I was. Um, transfers and agent fees, spending on player and staff wages, this kind of thing. Mm. 70% of total revenues by 25, 26. Yeah. That is 90% of club income from 23, 24, which was last season. So we're looking at 80% this season and then to 70% for next. So yeah, that is just another restriction. That's that's through UEFA, but obviously there's loads of things like uh, you might hear PSR quite a bit, profit, profitability and sustainability rules. Mm. It's the new new term for FFP, really, just to, yeah. to stop you <laughs> wondering what the hell that is. And, and do you know what Man City fans and what Newcastle fans and even Chelsea fans to an extent might say to everyone else is that, well, if that was the case, that you could only spend up to 70% of your revenues, and that's a, a kind of advantage to the teams like Manchester United with incredible revenues. You've got to remember, Man City now have good revenues, you know, like amazing revenues across the board because it's been 10 years, but they've had billions pumped into their business. And we're now at a stage where we're kind of questioning about where that money's come from, what they're doing with that cash, what the idea is going forward. You know, can you sustain all that? You've got to remember those three teams I just mentioned there. The biggest one out of those three, Scott, a Newcastle, right? In terms of in terms of their their depth of their support and their history and things like that, even though they haven't won a title for many many years, going back over time. But Chelsea are just was a small club in West London for many years. Like you know, Ken Bates bought them for like a quid, like only thirty years ago. They were like a nothing team. Now they're a team that's just spent a billion pound in the transfer market. So revenues increase over time, but it's it's fake because it's it's inflated by other entities just putting money in and bumping it up. Oh, there's a sponsorship deal for this magical company from over here. And that's another 200 million pounds in your coffers. It shouldn't work like that. Let's have real rules for these things. Like let's have businesses that can sustain themselves and doesn't have to go with begging bowls across the world to look for these billionaires to give them cash. Wouldn't it be better, Scott, if, if we could go back 20 years and actually not have the glazers at all. Yeah. And have a, have a proper structure. And Manchester United could have paid for absolutely everything itself because it makes more than enough revenues that every player it bought, it wouldn't need to look for outside money because it just makes loads of cash. Here we are now talking about losses again. This has been the Glazer model, isn't it? All that money pouring out of football and out of the football club going to who knows where, all the way across the road in, into these billionaires' pockets. It's, it's horrible. It's heinous. Football needs to do something about it. But what Rob just said there about being sustainable and using the revenues to, you know, what, what did you just say? <laughs> Which bit? <laughs> anyway, I've lost my but, train of thought. But the revenue, but like being you, able you, to fund themselves, basically, you know. Yeah, you know, if you if you if you run a shop down the road, here we go. More analogies and more like examples. If you run a shop down the road and you spend X amount and you have X amount of staff, you have to make it all balance. Yeah, and if it doesn't balance, then you have to go and answer to the bank manager, don't you? That's how it works. Football clubs operate outside of that system football clubs go oh we need a load of cash for this so we'll just go and take it from this kind of dodgy party over here we stick it in there and we call it revenue it's not revenue that's either loans or it's or it's just benefactors you know and Portsmouth are the perfect example of that of a team that was taken for that and just take for a ride and destroyed 
absolutely destroyed. So United are probably too big for that in terms of destruction. But the Glazers have done a really good job at trying to destroy Man United on the football pitch, especially in the last 10 years. And that's just this example that just because there's been successes as well, like Man City, I think is the best example, does not mean that that's the right model either. Just because there's billionaires who want to kind of show their image in a certain light and they're willing to pay for it. Is that how we want businesses in football to work? I don't know, Scott. Some fans I know don't care. Why should they? You know, they just want to win. Newcastle fans, very happy at the moment, aren't they, that they are maybe back in the mix. Well, they lost four in a row, so I'm not sure. But but they lost. Well, they've just lost four in a row, eight out of nine, as I said the uh, the other week. Um, and and but they, 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 they football fans want to be in the mix. They want to be part of the kind of the soap opera of it all, rather than having a sustainable football club. Like down the pyramid, it's more important that your local team doesn't go bust. I think it should be important in the Premier League as well. It totally should be that you you, you should look at your football club like we look at Man United and say. We just want to be sustainable. I think that's the most important thing. But way too many people in English football, Scott, think the opposite. They're just more interested in in big money coming into it. British government have tried to do that with with football and English football, just attracting interest from quarters that maybe they shouldn't be. But that's another conversation for another day. Final point. Sir Jim and Ineos, at least, represent a potential possibility that United could actually just do things properly because they will yeah. so you got Sir Jim there, you got Sir Dave Brailsford there, you got Jean-Claude Blanc, who each of them have track records. I know maybe not in football, all of them, but at least of making businesses thrive and mm. sporting teams succeed. You know, if they're the ones that are deciding to bring in people who know what they're talking about in a football context. Yeah. And hopefully those hires will be made over the next few months. United can be sustainable and can move towards something that is what everybody, every United fan really, would want United to be. No questions of like where the money's coming from. No questions of um, if legitimate means <laughs> this kind of thing. Mm. Just to do it properly. And that, I think that's why I backed the the Ratcliffe bid all along because I, I that was what I wanted to see. Yeah, can I just make an example off the back of what you just said there because about sport and about football. Um, in 2018, I shot a film at St. George's Park with the FA and it really opened my eyes of the connections between sport and sports science as general and football. So we always think football is about, here's the football, you run around a bit, you get fit, you know, old school ways of like, you know, you know, you're run around a football pitch in 1985, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just not like that anymore. It never ha- hasn't been for a long time. Sport and what you see happening in other sports happens exactly the same in football. And that's how you create elite performances. So this is what the FA were doing at a time when England were really pushing forward. Like I think, you know, again, it's, it's 2018, but they had obviously big aspirations and still do to win a major championship. And I think we can all agree that whether you agree with Gareth Southgate as a manager or not, England have produced a good set of footballers in the last 20 years, you know, of a high calibre. And that has all come, Scott, from sport. Not football. It's come from looking at sport and how do you take the bones of a of an Ineos project or you look at Dave Brailsford and how Dave Brailsford took stuff from other sports and incorporated it into his cycling profile and did things like that. Again, people might say not all of it was legit. But that's, again, another conversation. But it's all about how do you make the marginal gains until you get to a point where you're the best team on the football pitch. 
That's what I'm interested in. And I want to see what I saw at St. George's Park in 2018. I want to see that Carrington now in 2024, because Carrington itself is a kind of, you know, dwindling building, dwindling kind of disorganized mess that hasn't been sorted out for a while. I'll tell you this now, Scott, Ineos will sort it out. Ineos will go to Carrington. Carrington will become state of the art and Manchester United will once again be the best at doing those kind of things. Well, even reports this week suggesting that Ineos are looking at external sites in in around Manchester for a potential new training ground. Uh, and Will not surprise me. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. And just one more point, Rob, on the England thing. Who played a big part in that England revolution of players and making them come to the fore? And now the Phil Foden's of the world that you see playing for England at a high level. Jude Bellingham, this pathway of young players mm. from to actually making England's team pretty good. Who was there? Who, who spent a lot of time there as a overseeing performance and sporting direction. Dan Ashworth. Anyway, let's move on. Anthony Martial is a player who will not be part of Manchester United for too much longer. There's been developments this week. This is the final section of the show. Developments this week. There was a suggestion that he was banished and training alone because he's a bad guy. Um, <laughs> it sounded like a wrestling thing there. Yeah, but that's that's... That's what I was aiming for. Um, bad guy. He's not not been seen for a number of weeks, five, six weeks now. Illness, this kind of thing. Hmm. I'm saying this kind of thing a lot. Somebody pointed it out to me on a stream that I was doing yesterday, and I can't stop saying it. Sorry. We <laughs> hope I can shrug that and one. And this off. is live. We can't edit it. <laughs> yeah. Can't edit this. Anyway, uh, Martial's been out of the team for a while. We know he's going to leave in the summer. His agent confirmed as much as well because he has responded to these reports that he's been banished from first team training. He's training alone, this kind of thing. I just did it then, you see. What is, what is said about him, says his agent, uh, Philippe Lambelet, what is said about him is absolute nonsense in the sense of he's not training alone, he's not been banished. He's not been excluded from the group. He has no problems with Eric Ten Hag. Anthony has spent nine seasons at Man United. And if he were, if he were not a true professional, he would not have stayed at the club for so long. He just needs a small operation on his adductors, mm -hmm. which he had to do a long time ago and which prevented him from being 100% ready. So he will do it now. Anthony will not leave and will stay until his contract expires in June. So that's ex effectively confirmation that he will leave at the end of the season. That's a significant chunk of money off the weekly wage bill. Mm -hmm. United could have sold him a few years ago were it not for Joel Glazer who decided that he was his favorite player. And he's like, no, we're not, we're not going to... I was on that team, actually, at that point. I thought there was a lot of potential in it. But Martial... My question from this, Rob, he just needs a small operation on his adductors, which he had to do a long time ago. Why didn't you do it already? Now you're going to spend more time out. Yeah, why didn't he do it? And I, I think the, you know, my answer to that is that players quite often, especially in the middle of a season will talk to the management and will be convinced not to do it. <laughs> so like, managers want, you know, if they can get 20 minutes and some goals off you off the bench and you, you kind of struggle along, quite a lot of players are, are quite you know willing to do that because players generally would prefer to play. Yeah, that is, I think that's, that is a given, even though people, you know, accuse individuals of not wanting to play. Um, but that story there, you see, and it's really important to tell the truth again on that, is that you know, it's just not because Anthony Martial is a pariah at Man United or Anthony Martial is not liked or Anthony Martial doesn't want to play for Man United. 
I think the thing is now, it's almost like, for me, like the end of the Paul Pogba saga at United, is that the problem is the boy can't get fit, yeah? And he's not fit enough, and you're going to get to a point where it's actually better just to cut your losses. We can all use hindsight and say, it'd be good if United sold him two years ago. But they did try that, do you remember? Like, he did go to Sevilla and do nothing, and then come back, and was first-choice striker. And it was like, so again, that's how the business is run, how United are running. It's part of the problem. Um, but I've got I've got nothing against Anthony Martial. Like, of course, I think he's going to be remembered as a, as a bust. Of course, that a player that that didn't give United didn't fulfil his own potential. And I think you're at a point now with the injuries are getting to him. So yeah, he's going to need an operation, and he's going to sit on the sidelines. And you now have to decide, Scott, especially with how your finances are. Do you go into the loan market just to find someone, just to make up numbers? Because you probably could do with another striker somewhere in the fit. How you do that, I'm not so sure, because you're still paying Anthony Martial till the summer. And then, of course, you can do it. Like, Ineos will be looking long-term at that and going, well, maybe we go and buy, buy our big striker next summer. And there are plenty of you know names on the block for that. But as it stands, you know, we're just going to kind of stick with it. And hey, guess what? Marcus Rashford, you might be playing a little bit at number nine. Hey, someone else might be doing it. Oh, look, you know, Mason Mount's come back in. We're going to play you higher up the pitch. There are options. It's just that I don't think any of the options are that particularly good. Right. We'll wrap it up there because we've been going on for long enough. Obviously, bit of a different show. Man United don't play until next Sunday. Hmm. The Scott Saunders Derby, as it's been dubbed, Newport County versus Manchester United. I am a Newport native. Are you going? Are you going to go? I don't think so. Why not? You should be there. Um, outing myself here. Born in Newport, lives in London, supports Manchester United. There you go. T- typical uh, Cockney Red. That's what typical. you are, aren't I'm, you? I am a typical person. Yeah, anyway, we will be back early next week to talk not about football or what's happening on a football pitch because United won't be playing. But we will be back, nevertheless, to talk about whatever's developing. We're entering the last 10 days-ish of the transfer window, so maybe, as Rob just alluded to, maybe United do something on a loan. Maybe we'll say hello to Eric Maxim, Maxim Chupo moting at some point. Oh, no, no, it's not going to be any big arrival, so I would very much doubt it, as we've yeah. explained due to the profit and sustainability rules. PSR. Keep an eye out. And, it, and do you know what, Scott? It probably will be classic Man United deadline day. You know, there you are watching the, the, the yellow ticker going along the bottom of your television screen. And, oh, Manchester United have just picked up this play. Do you know what, Scott? I, I wouldn't, uh, I'd be all right again if United just played some more kids like i know we seem to be selling them all but just balance it all out and get to the end of this season i'm not saying the season's a write-off but maybe just try and develop people so you you know rather than just constantly bringing in you know your next veg horse but i wouldn't be surprised if we do get a veg horse for another six months because you know what happens if rasmus hoyland goes down what rasmus hoyland gets an injury and is out for six months rest of the season that's a massive compromise, isn't it? You're really hoping now that across your across the board that you don't lose players to more injuries. You're hoping they're coming back, but you've still got positions, I think, that are almost a little bit empty. So striker is definitely one of them. And I think if United could pick someone up, they'll go and get them. And then maybe in the summer, you know, look at someone like an Ivan Tony. Let's see. Oh, look at we Scott's a, face. I did that we had deliberately. had a conversation see. beforehand. I know. Yeah. That was for it's YouTube. Just, you see, you wouldn't have you would... my boat at all. Yeah. See, the, you know, it, not it, for me. It, we, we will do an Ivan Tony show one day, maybe. 
Um, but we'll talk about options, I think, going forward, because I think he's the kind of player that Man United will look at in the summer. But, you know, there's a lot of money going into a player like that. What's your return on it? You know, can you really take it forward? So, uh, yeah, Scott's not a big fan of Ivan Tony. I think I, uh, I think Ivan Tony is better than some people say. Be back soon, everyone. Subscribe wherever you get your pods and watch us on YouTube, The Promised Land, a Man United podcast. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment for us as well. Hit the notification bell. Hit a five-star review on Apple and Spotify so we can climb up the ranks and follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at TPL MUFC. Until next time, I believe we're recording on Monday next week so a little bit earlier united are out of europe now and not playing that many games so we, we might, might be doing different days things. isn't it we've said yeah. so we, you know so the Maybe. audience will have to come with us so uh just uh, the best way to do it is you know click that notification bell on youtube or wherever you watch it and then of course you just get notified straight to your phone that we've gone live or actually we've done a show so yeah, well, i think we might be changing the days as united are not in europe anymore we will let you know though we haven't decided yet anyway twice a week still see you soon everyone the Promise and a Man United podcast. Until next time, see you soon. Have a fantastic weekend without Man United there to ruin it on the pitch. How exciting. Until next time, see you soon. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.